This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's passage comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Abby. Uh, I, I have this habit of mine um, that just drives my wife nuts, but and perhaps some of you guys have the same habit as well, but I have a tough time of getting rid of old clothes. If you look at my closet, I'll have stuff even way back from my college days. And for some reason, I have a hard time parting with it. I hold on to it in the hopes that maybe it will fit me one day again, and maybe it will come back into fashion. But my wife, she's just, get rid of it throw it away, be done with it. And I've gotten better over the years. I've parted with a couple this year. But this is basically the idea of what Paul is trying to show us today as we live as Christians. There is sin in our lives that we need to just get rid of. It doesn't fit. It doesn't match who we are now in Christ. So Paul is exhorting the Colossian church, get rid of it, throw it away. Kill the sin in your life and be who you are in Jesus Christ. And last week, Paul showed us our gospel identity. And due to our gospel identity, he then tells us to be heavenly-minded, to seek the things above, to set our heart and minds on the gospel realities. And as we do that, he says in juxtaposition today that we also need to get rid of the behavior that does not reflect that mindset. In other words, we need to be killing sin, putting it off. So we're going to work through today's passage with a simple outline of asking three different questions. We're going to ask the question, what do we put off, why we put it off, and how we're going to put it off. So the what, the why, and the how. So let's look at what Paul is telling us that we should be putting off. Uh, Look down with me to verse 5 once again. We're going to read this, and as we read it, uh, I want you to notice um, that there are going to be two different sets of things that Paul lists, of different sins that we should be putting off. And so here's the first set. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is adultery. Now, when we look at this set of sins that Paul lists, the first three of are of the sexual category, sexual immorality, impurity, passion. Passion is more describing the lust that we have in our heart. And he's taking the time to tell us to put this away. And then afterwards, he's talking about covetousness and idolatry. 
And it seems like they don't match. And so we've got to ask the question, what is Paul getting what is Paul trying to convey to us? What is the point that he's trying to say? And I think that the main idea that Paul is trying to get across is focusing on these last words, which he says, which is adultery. That's the main problem that we have in our hearts. That is the idolatry, putting something else in the place of God, where God should be. We have to define first what sexual immorality is according to Scripture and what God prescribes for us. Sexual sin is any sexual thought, action, desire outside of marriage between a man and a woman. It's what the Bible clearly teaches. And we can't be nitpicky about what falls into this category. Sexual immorality ranges from everything from the newly engaged Christian couple who says, two months from now we're going to get married, so it's okay if we engage in sexual behavior. That's sexual immorality. Pornography, cheating, affairs, infidelity, homosexuality, and all the other sexual perversions that we are seeing that coming out in our culture today, all of it is covered under this umbrella of sexual immorality. And Paul is saying here today that we need to put this to death. When we see passages like this, I think we have two knee-re-jerk reactions that are perhaps unhealthy in the way we regard sexual sins and God's wrath, which Paul says is to come for those who are engaging in this behavior. Our first knee-jerk reaction is to the world who engages in these sexual immorality. And the second knee-jerk reaction is for ourselves who perhaps struggle with some of these sexual sins. So the first reaction, we see, okay, for those who are involved with sexual immorality, impurity, passion, wrath of God is coming upon them. And we make this unhealthy obsession of obsessing over their actions, someone's actions. If you've been to Myeongdong, if you've been to Itaewon, and you see some of those street evangelists who have the, the boards that say homosexuals are going to hell, we see these really stark words written across. And while it is important for us to recognize certain sins, it's not, we need to be careful about focusing too much on, be, on the behavior. What we rather need to do is understand the root cause of it which Paul is again pointing out, which is idolatry, the rejection of God, refusing to live under his lordship, rather serving something else, whether that be sex, money, fame, power, whatever that idol is, that's the main cause, that's the main problem that incurs God's wrath and our eternal separation from him. So rather than focusing on just these sexual sins and immorality and labeling people to be, and condemning them, we should recognize that more than just those behaviors, the root cause is their rejection from God. And our hearts should rather be to help them see God's love and God's forgiveness and kindness to them and that God can bring about a restoration rather than just pinpointing, hey, you're living in sexual sin. You're damned. So we have to understand it's a heart problem, not just a behavior problem. The second energetic reaction we have is for ourselves as Christians who struggle with these sexual sins. You might read this and hear, okay, 
You have the sexual immorality, impurity, passions. The wrath of God is to come for those people. How many of you have never dealt with lusts? No one can raise their hand. And the statistics are crazy high for the number of Christian men who have struggled with or are struggling with pornography. We all deal with sexual sins and immorality and impurity and lust. And we can read a passage like this and say, and question ourselves and be like, am I really saved? Am I really saved from the wrath that is to come? And to bring assurance to us, Paul's not saying this to, make, to scare us and guilt us and make us question our assurance. But we need to realize, again, it goes back to that heart issue of idolatry. For the Christian, we are going to suffer. I mean, we're going to struggle with sexual sin. But the difference for us is who we serve. We strive to serve God. We've placed God as God of our hearts. And for the Christian, it's not necessarily an absence of sexual sins in our lives that will, will prevent the wrath of God to come upon us. But it's a life that's repentant and obedient that seeks to strive to not live in the pattern of sexual immorality. For those who have rejected God, sexual immorality, the love of money, that's the pattern of love, a life in which they do not want to turn away from. But for the Christian, we may struggle with that, but there's a desire to turn away from it. There's a desire to repent from it. And so that is the comfort that we have, that if you have that desire if you desire not to live in that lifestyle, the wrath of God is not upon us. But rather, we are saved through Christ and what he's done for us. So for those of us who may be struggling with some of these sexual sins today, ask yourself, do you have that repentant heart? Do you desire to not live in that lifestyle? Then be assured that you are a child of God. But perhaps if... You're living in this certain pattern, in this lifestyle, and it's totally okay with you. And there's not an ounce of you that says, this is wrong, this is not the way God wants me to live. We should be asking ourselves, have we really been born again? Are we really in Christ? Paul then goes on from this first set of sins, which he says to mortify to kill, to put to death. He uses these severe words because they're incompatible with the Christian life. If you're struggling with sexual sin, know that you're forgiven, but also strive to put it to death. Fight with it. Kill it. Pull it out of your life. The second, sin Paul then go, the second set of sins that Paul goes and addresses is in verse 8. He says, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Paul moves from this first set of sins that deals with um, the sexual sins and greed and an idolatrous heart. And then he moves on to these verbal sins. Paul is telling us here to put away hasty speech. Stop with that nasty speech. Put it away and it shouldn't be coming out of your mouth anymore as a Christian. He mentions this first three, the anger, wrath, malice. And these three words together represent an attitude that leads to nasty speech. In Matthew 15, 18, Jesus says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. 
You know, many times we, we throw words out there and excuse ourselves, right? We, we say we have a good reason for saying the things we say. We say we're only jo- joking and we tell ourselves, don't take it so seriously. We don't, find, we don't take accountability for our words. But Paul is saying here today, we do need to be accountable for the way we talk to one another. They're not simply just words, but they're a reflection of what's in our heart. I was talking with a, a member the other day, and he, he was telling me a story about his week. After work, you know, a long day of work, he, he went to the dry cleaners, and he's standing there, and this is a small hole-in-the-wall dry cleaners, and it's only one person can go in at a time to pick up their clothes. And so he's standing outside, and he's waiting for his clothes, and the person inside leaves, and in that short frame of time, someone from out of nowhere just rushes in and cuts ahead. And, and, and takes his spot, he picks up his laundry, and, and his, his blood starts to boil. He, he's getting angry. He can't just let it go, though. As soon as that person comes out, he's, he's talking to him and saying, hey, don't you know there's a line? Don't you know that you have to be waiting? And he's saying all these things. And the guy that cut in front of him, he just kind of, yeah, whatever, man, brushes it off, and he walks away. And now this member, he's even more livid. He, he's just so angry. I bring up this story because he shares it, 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 this instance, for us, that just sounds like every Wednesday, right? You know, we, I'm sure a lot of us experience this where that, that anger just boils up and it just spills out out of our mouth. He recalls this instance because it just showed him what exactly was in his heart, that, that there's still a lot of anger in there, and he realizes that he needs to work on it. He needs to get rid of it and put it off. I want us to imagine if your cell phone dictated everything you said throughout the day, and then it categorized everything you said. So in the morning, you said this. That was in the anger department. Afternoon, you said this. This was encouraging words. In the evening, you said this. It was grumbling. Which category would dominate your life? Anger, grumbling, bitterness, unforgiveness, whatever it is, our words give us a good insight into what is in our hearts. So be mindful of the speech. Be mindful of where it's coming from and put it away. Paul is saying it does not fit you anymore as a Christian. And then after this second list, he makes an abrupt statement that seems kind of awkward to say in the middle of everything. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Do not lie. Don't do all these sexual sins. Don't be an idolater. Watch what you're saying to other. Watch your anger. Watch what's in your heart. And then do not lie. What Paul is doing is he's transitioning into what it means to live as a Christian within community. That's what next week we're going to be looking at, how to live as a Christian in community. And here he's telling us not to lie and be genuine, to be honest, to be upfront with one another as we live as Christians. And so he tells us to not lie to one another. This is something that we need to put off as we live in Christian community. You know, we all know the, the regular the greeting we have with each other week after week, right? How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. But yet inside, we're screaming, I, I'm not good. I'm falling apart. I have no idea what my life is going to be like next year. 
I'm struggling with this type of sin. Paul is exhorting us to not hide those things, but rather to bring it to light, to be genuine with one another, and to be honest with one another. So these are the things that Paul tells us that we should put off, that we should put to death, and we should kill. And next, we're going to look into why. Why do we put this stuff off? Why do we put off the old? We're going to read verse 5 one more time, and as you do, there's one word in this verse that is just absolutely important. One word that everything that Paul is talking about will hinge on in these next four verses. So let's read chapter uh, verse 5, and let's see what that word is. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is adultery. The most important word in this verse is therefore. Paul is connecting the passage that we looked at before last week in verses 1 to 4, where he says this, verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's reminding them of these spiritual realities, that they have died and now been united to Christ, that your old self has died. And so he's saying, because it has died, therefore put to death the old things that you have in you. Put to death the sins. Saying, in light of your new identity, put all that stuff aside. This is where we need to make a clear gospel distinction as we try to fight sin in our lives. When we fight sin in our lives, um, we are so accustomed to the paradigm that we've learned growing up. Have you guys heard of the, the idea of the carrot and the stick? The idea is if you do well, you'll get the carrot. And if you do poorly, if you fail, you're going to get the stick. As teachers, you probably use this all the time with your students. Parents, you do it all the time with your kids. But it's not just for kids. It, it translates into everything in our lives as we grow up as well. When you go to work, same idea. You do well, you get complimented, you get praised, you get recognized. You do poorly, the opposite. And so our brain is naturally wired to think this way about everything in our lives, including the way we deal with God. It puts us on a performance treadmill when we try to put our sins away. If we're killing sin in our lives, we're doing good. We're on good terms with God. But if we're not and we're failing, then we're thinking, okay, maybe God's not so fond of me right now. Maybe he's trying to put a little bit of distance in between me and him. But that is not the gospel. The gospel is saying that you have already been given the carrot. You've been given the golden carrot. It's 24K. It is beautiful. It is treasure. It's priceless. And it's been given to you regardless of what you've done. What you fail to do or what you are able to do has no bearing on it. God has given you Christ, and you are now accepted, you are forgiven, and you are loved. We have to remember our gospel identity, that we're putting off sin in a, from a place not to earn anything from God, but we put it off because of what he's done for us. We fight sin because of the gospel. It is now our response to what he's done. We've been given the carrot. It is ours forever. And so out of gratitude and love and thanks for what he's done, we kill sin in our lives. So Paul is telling us it's not just the gospel, 
that should be the motivation for us to kill sin, but it's simply also because, like we mentioned, it just does not fit us anymore. He uses these three different phrases. In verse 5, he says, put it to death. In 7, he says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Put it to death, put it all away. And in verse 9, he says, put off the old self and put on the new self. The old self that walked in the ways of this world, that was dead in sin, that was subject under the penalty of sin, that person is now gone. We were wearing the rags of sin in our lives, the filthy rags of sin. But because of Christ, we have now been robed with righteousness. Each and every single one of us, when God sees you, he sees you supernaturally. He doesn't see the filthy rags that you are wearing, but he sees the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. That is who you are. You are complete in him. So therefore, take off those filthy rags. I want to, you guys to imagine, if you will, if you won the lottery tomorrow, and not just for like a million, but for an obscene amount of money, and next day, what would you probably do? You guys would go to the department store, right? You, you, you'd check out all those shops that, you know, and get all those things that you wanted. You guys are dressed great right now, but you would probably upgrade your wardrobe, the Louis Vuitton, Chanel, whatever it is that you enjoy. And as you get thrown into this upper level of society, this new socioeconomic status, you would completely change your wardrobe and fit who you are. And all of a sudden, you wouldn't be caught dead wearing H&M or Uniqlo or anything like that, right? Well, no, no this, they're great clothing. They're great. I shop there all the time. But having this new status, new bank account, this new wardrobe, you wouldn't dream of going back to the old. Christ is saying, is you've, God is saying, you've been robed with the righteousness of Christ. It makes no sense for you to be wearing these filthy rags anymore. So put them off. Take them off. Put them away. This is the picture of the Christian walk. We might have been robed with the righteousness of Christ, but we are going to struggle with sin. It's like weeds in a field. Have you ever taken them out? You take them out once, what happens eventually? They start to grow again. You pull them out again, they start to grow again. The same is with the sin in our lives. We are justified and we are found righteous, but we're going to have the weeds of sin growing in our lives until that final day. God is telling us to pull those weeds out, to put off those clothes, and become who you are in Christ. And then finally, Paul will show us how we are able to do this, how we are able to put off the old. And we're going to go over four just practical ways for us to be fighting the sin in our lives, to be killing it, to be putting it off. First is very simple. Recognize the sin that you have in your life. Recognize the sin that you have in your life. Right? Don't just ignore them. Brush them away. Don't downplay them. Don't justify your actions, but call it out for what it is. You know, also, Paul, he just clearly states it in these verses. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice. Be able to recognize what it is in your life that is causing you to stumble. I heard an illustration right before this as 
a community group was talking about it, but it's like cleaning your sink. If I tell you to go clean your sink, you would just probably do a generally good job of you know, wiping down the counters, the faucet, the handles and everything. But if I told you that there is, a mold, there is mold growing underneath your sink, you would know very well what to focus on, what to target, and how to get rid of it. And the same is with the sin in our lives. Don't be indifferent to it. Just don't be like, oh, well, let me just move on. But no, hey, I deal with anger. Hey, I am dealing with lust and pornography right now. This is the very sin that I need to kill. Recognize the sin in your life and clearly label it. The second is be renewed in knowledge. Be renewed in knowledge. Recognize the sin, be renewed in knowledge. Verse 9, he says this. Seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The Christian life is a process of being renewed daily, day after day after day, more and more into the image of Christ. It means fighting off sin, putting on Christ's character, and that's all done through the word of God. It's understanding who God is in terms of Christ, understanding what God has done for you, and understanding what God wants for your life. And this is all done through the scriptures. Sermons are good. Podcasts are great. Devotionals help. These are all great resources. But none of it compares to your one-on-one time with God in the scriptures. To not only learn about him, but to grow in your relationship with him. Reading on it, meditating, memorizing, praying through it. This is absolutely essential for your fight against sin. You must be growing in your knowledge and your relationship with God through the scriptures. John Bunyan, uh, the famous author of Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote this in the cover of his Bible. He says, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. If you want to fight sin in your life, if you're serious about taking it off and overcoming it, you have to get close with God through his word. Spend time in it. Immerse yourself in it. Immerse yourself in it, not just for the sole purpose so you can stop sinning, but so you can see his glory and who he is, to see his love for you. And as you grow in your relationship with him, you will see that sin start to come off. You will see yourself able to defeat and put off the old. The third way to fight off sin, how we are to do it, is to be restored in community. Restored in community. Look down with me again to verses 9 to 11. Let me read this for us. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after image of its creator. Here there is not Jew or Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Notice the word here in verse 11. It says, here. What is Paul talking about? Where? It's in the new self. In the new self, Paul is saying that there's no Jew or Greek, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. What Paul is saying is this new identity that we've put on after our old identity has been killed with Christ on the cross is a corporate identity. 
We have to begin to think about our salvations, not as just an individual, uh, we receive salvation from God, but that God saved us into a new body. When God saved the Egyptians from Egypt, he wasn't saving just individuals. He saved the peoples. And so when Christ came and he died on the cross to save humanity, he didn't do it just for individuals specifically, but he did it for a group of peoples. We're saved into the body of Christ. And so our fight against sin is not an individual project. It's a communal project. It really is. If you're trying to fight sin on your own by yourself, you may be able to do it, but it's going to be far more difficult. But We have been given new life and brought into this body where Christ is all and in all. There's no differentiation between nationalities, ethnicities, things we've done. We are all in Christ. And it's in this community that we fight sin. When, when, when Paul tells, tells them, do not lie. Be honest. Be genuine to one another. He's saying, come into this community that you have now been brought into and share your sins. Share your struggles. Have one another pray for you. Have each other exhort you into correct living to keep you accountable when you're stumbling and failing, to keep a temperature check on your spiritual walk and the way you're living your life. We fight sin, not individually, but in community. That is how God designed our salvation and our redemption. We were bought into community by the blood of Christ. And then finally, we're going to run to the cross. So the first way we kill sin was recognize the sin, be renewed in knowledge, be restored in community, and finally run to the cross. Most of the time when we sin, a lot of the times when we sin, what it does to us is it keeps us from God. In pastoral ministry, over and over, so many times I've heard the stories, I did such and such, and now I feel like I can't go to church. I did such and such, and I can't pray to God because I'm afraid he's not listening. I can't go to God because of what I've done. But we should not let our sin keep us from God, but rather our sin should let us run to the cross. It should drive us to the cross because it's at the cross where we find grace and forgiveness. It is true that our sin at one point kept us from God. We could never dare dream to go to him. And as Paul said in verse 6, we were deserving of that wrath that is to come. That wrath was supposed to be for us. We walked in that way. But God in his mercy and his love and his compassion and kindness to us sent his son, Jesus. He left behind the glory of heaven. He left his home, came to this earth, took on flesh, and as he lived as man, he faced every temptation, he faced every struggle, every sadness, every trial, and through it all, was perfectly obedient to the Father. It was this sinless Lamb of God that God made to be sin for us. And he went on that cross. Voluntarily, he gave his life for us. He was betrayed by Judas, the Romans put him there, but ultimately it was his choice. And he went to that cross and he hung there to pay for our sins and to incur the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us. 
Your sin should not drive you away from him, but should make you run to him, realizing that you are completely forgiven. You're completely loved, completely accepted because of Christ. You are no longer subject to that wrath. Remember that. Let that be a source and a motivation for you to live for God, to kill that sin, to put it off, because it is no longer you. You have been robed with robes of righteousness. Take off those filthy rags of sin. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.